It's very easy to look back on the past and laugh at some of the irresponsible antics our ancestors got up to. Whether it's heroin and cough syrup, lawn darts, or some of the bizarre 80s hairstyles, it seems there's no end to the list of mistakes made by previous generations. However, it does seem like a mistake has to be left to run its course before society steps in with a corrective hand. Oh, you want to market cigarettes to children? Sure. But wait a minute, the damage it's doing to their lungs is making them struggle in the textile mills. Maybe we should reconsider. Those lead toys have made little Timmy's brain soft. A horrendous example of this is that of the radium girls, who suffered radiation poisoning as a result of using radium paint to illuminate watch dials, even using their mouths to keep the brush tips sharp. Another thing I'd like to point out is that there is seemingly no period of history in which nobody is doing anything questionable. We've always been up to mischief, and it's clearly a blind spot of ours. These practices must be going on in the present. Well, I'm going to try and peer into one of these blind spots today, because this podcast is going to be all about our blase attitude to hearing loss, the way we subject ourselves to entirely unnecessary hearing damage, and what you can do to hear less of this for longer. Throughout this podcast, we're going to be talking about decibels as a scale. We're going to be talking about where in your life you find these loud noises, how much noise it takes to do damage, and some solutions or just ways of mitigating the damage and eventual decay of your hearing. We'll be talking about the way that the ear processes sound and how this is a a one-way street that you can't really row back down. But yeah, stay tuned and we'll, uh, we'll get to the bottom of this. But first, a word from our sponsor, Bees. Bees are an insect, they produce honey, and they live in hives. Um, They can be killed by vehicles on the road, so if you're driving, drive slowly, just if you see one, just try and avoid it. Thank you Bees for sponsoring this episode, let's get back to the podcast. I think we should start by a quick discussion of decibels, because you may know them just as the units by which sound is measured, but there's a little bit more to them. Some of you might know that they're logarithmic, but when we talk about decibels, The numbers can sound quite close, but they're actually vastly different. Let's go over some baseline decibel values. Normal conversation uh, about the volume that I'm speaking now into the podcast would be around 60 decibels. That's absolutely fine. That's not going to damage your hearing. The uh, the next one on the scale, though, is something like uh, a leaf blower or gas-powered lawnmower. That's around 80 to 85 decibels. And at that point, you may experience some discomfort. Anything over 90 decibels, for example, a motorcycle that comes in at 95 decibels, will be damaging to your hearing, potentially damaging after a short amount of time. But uh, as it goes up, it gets worse and worse very quickly. From a motorcycle at 95 decibels, it takes you about 50 minutes of exposure to have permanent damage. But if you get to 100 decibels, only 5 decibels higher, that can be 15 minutes of, uh, of sort of safe time before the damage sets in. So the numbers sound very close together, and you might think, what's the difference between 95 and 100? But that's actually around 1.8 times louder, so quite significant. The loudest sound ever in recorded history was the eruption of Krakatoa, a volcanic island in Indonesia, on the 27th of August, 1883. Estimates place the sound wave produced by the eruption at 310 decibels. To give you context on that, That is 3.17 trillion times louder than a normal conversation. The shockwave from the eruption was so immense, it traveled around the planet three and a half times and could be heard up to 3,000 miles away. A ship called the RMS Norham Castle was situated about 40 miles away at the time of the explosion. 
and half of the crew were immediately deafened by the shockwave. This is what Captain Sampson wrote in the ship's log. I am writing this blind in pitch darkness. We are under a continual rain of pumice stone and dust. So violent are the explosions that the eardrums of over half my crew have been shattered. My last thoughts are with my dear wife. I am convinced that the day of judgment has come. The numbers, they can be close together, but 85 decibels to 90 decibels is a pretty significant breakpoint. 100 is a big breakpoint. If you get into decibel ranges above 120 or so, it may be that you end up having to go to accident and emergency to actually get treatment for your ears if, if you've been exposed to these sounds. The form that damage from excessive amplitude causes is actually damage to the hairs and nerve cells in the cochlea, which are so tiny and so crucial for our hearing that they can't really be repaired. It's not like you can operate on something of that size. What people do is they try and mitigate the damage caused, but it can't be reversed. If you do have this form of advanced hearing loss, it will often be the case that the best thing they can offer you is some kind of implant. In situations where the eardrum has been perforated, the, the situation is very severe, and I don't want to get too gross here, but they don't, they don't let your eardrum heal. What they do is they, they take a bit of skin from elsewhere in your body. Uh, it says, I'm looking on the NHS website, and it says that they take it from behind your ear, but I mean, I don't know what the deal with that is. And they put that as a patch over the damaged hole in your eardrum. So it kind of works, but I mean, you want to keep your eardrums intact. This is, this is a different issue though, because the, the perforated eardrum thing is like someone's fired a shotgun right by your head, whereas the, the one that I'm really on my crusade against is the, the cumulative damage factor. I've got some statistics from the WHO about safe listening times, and we've talked about things like motorcycles and leaf blowers, but if you apply those to things like crowded restaurants, you'll see how the times are scarily short. 95 decimals gives you a safe listening time of around 47 minutes, but that could be a crowded restaurant or a bar. And if you're listening to that for the two hours you're there, that could cause real damage. Likewise, the 105 decibel thing, which the WHO referred to as an MP3 player at maximum volume, just four minutes at that volume could start causing permanent damage. The WHO give a loud rock concert a score of 115 decibels and suggest that a mere 28 seconds is enough to cause permanent damage. And lastly, Police sirens at 120 decibels, 9 seconds, and your ears are stuffed. Honestly, reading this and thinking about the amount of times I've subjected myself to this made me a bit nervous. I've got a good little rule of thumb that you can use if you come away from this podcast with uh, an increased focus on hearing loss. So apparently 85 decibels is around the, the volume that if you were standing an arm's length away from someone, you'd have to raise your voice to be understood by them. So if you find yourself shouting to talk to someone an arm's length away, you're probably on the cusp of the danger zone. If you find yourself having to really shout, or let's just say kind of devolve into hand signals and pointing, then you're definitely doing damage to your hearing. So do use that as a kind of take-home method to work out what kind of trouble you might be in. What we'll see is that a lot of the situations that people regularly put themselves in and that aren't seen as sort of extreme scenarios can hit these numbers. So if, if a helicopter is landing by, you kind of expect that to be loud. If you're, if you're using a chainsaw or whatever, you expect that to be loud. And often you'll see people in those situations using ear protection. The situations like the nightclub and the bar, though, not so much. Let's have a look at that next. 
There's this weird understanding that certain genres of live music are allowed to damage your hearing, and that that's even part of the aesthetic. Particularly with things like heavy metal or punk, it just seems that hearing damage is swept up and is part of the fun. An example I'd give is this guy, Roger Miller. He was the lead guitarist for a band called Mission of Burma. And it's a particularly sad story because they set the band up in the late 70s, but a few years later they actually have to disband the band because they've given themselves hearing damage. His website, rogerglockmiller.com, gives a lot of resources specifically for tinnitus, which is essentially the main side effect of hearing loss. But it does speak to this expectation that when you go to a gig, when you go to a festival, you are going to receive hearing damage. There are a few quirky acoustic problems that do come up specifically in this live music scenario. So we're going to go through a couple of those now. Firstly, we have the inverse square law, which does sound a little bit dry, a little bit nerdy, but... And I'm going to read this quote. In the realm of acoustics, the inverse square law states that the intensity of sound decreases by approximately six decibels for each doubling of distance from the sound source. On the other hand, the opposite is true when you move closer to the source. This makes sense, but when you have festival crowds that may stretch 100, 200 meters back from the sound systems, you have to realize that the people close to those sound systems are getting absolutely obliterated by sound. You want to have the people at the back able to hear, but the people at the front are paying an enormous cost for the ability of the entire festival to hear the sound. I propose a solution, and I think I have seen this, where they have the little sound systems dotted through the crowd further back from the stage. But that kind of expectation that you can be 200 metres away from a speaker and still hear it does have an enormous cost on the, the people at the front. Another issue is that of destructive interference. And this is a phenomenon you'll definitely be familiar with if you've used noise-cancelling headphones. Just quickly, noise-cancelling headphones work by intentionally introducing destructive interference into your ear cups or your, your ear canal so that the sound of the plane, train or whatever you're trying to block out is blocked. They do this by using microphones facing out from your ears to pick up the noise as it comes in and basically play phase-shifted cover-up sounds. That's actually why it works best on repetitive sounds because you can guess what the phase-shift will be, whereas conversation, because it pitches up and rumbles around a bit, they don't work so well. But yeah, if you play sound waves out of phase, you can cancel out music. So the problem arises when you have two speaker systems that have sound waves that interact that are slightly further apart from each other and just happen to form one of those pockets of phase cancellation within the crowd. The right thing to do in the situation is to return to your audio engineer and fix the speaker setup and solve the problem like the, the hard way. But what do you think the unscrupulous music venue people do? They crank the volume so that this pocket of cancellation has audible music in it at the expense of everyone else. The music example is contentious because not everyone is doing this and there are awkward situations where you do want people to have a good time. Some people are willing to experience higher volumes and that's always a bit of a quagmire. The next example though, which is the, the example of subways or the tube system here in London, is more of a clear-cut issue because this is a public service. This can be sorted. Hell, the French, who I must admit I went a little bit hard on last episode, have rubber wheels on their metro system and don't have this problem in the slightest. Let's have a look at the tube network and the audio problems within it. 
I actually had the idea for this episode when I was recently traveling on the tube in central London and my watch, I, um, I bought a new kind of smart digital watch, started telling me that the current sound levels I was experiencing were likely to damage my hearing. It comes up with that kind of scary, bold, yellow text saying, Watch out, mate. You're damaging your ears in it. Now, obviously, I've normalized the audio a bit for you, the listener, because, my God, you don't want to listen to shrieky train sounds all day. Maybe you do. That's going to be my separate podcast. And if you'd like to hear more of my recordings of awful sounds coming from trains, you can subscribe to the sister podcast, Screechy Tubes, available where all good podcasts are found. I set out to try and find the loudest part of the tube network, and actually this section between Camden Town and Euston is supposedly the second loudest. According to the BBC, the stretch between Liverpool Street and Bethnal Green gets slightly louder. But I want to point out that during my recording of the Northern Line, I saw people wearing headphones. Not everyone, though. And during the recording of this screechy part, people were visibly wincing at how loud the sound was. The same study carried out by the BBC in 2018 actually looks at the averages over journeys as well as just the, the peaks. And there are certain journeys that have averages in excess of 95 or 97 decibels. Kenja's Town to Tufnell Park or Holland Park to Notting Hill Gate are particularly bad. And apparently this is caused by the curves in the track screeching against the metal wheels hence the uh, the paris solution with the rubber tires and whatnot you have to spare a thought for those people for whom the tube is their only method of getting to work they may need the job and they may be inadvertently sacrificing their auditory health to stay in work forcing people to put up with these high sounds is even worse because what you may force people into doing is slamming the volume on their headphones the maximum to mask it out which is the worst thing you can do because you're adding more amplitude to an already noisy space. Headphone safety is another topic, and we might touch on that later, but this problem of the tube is something that I do feel should be more talked about. It does seem like it's sort of hand-waved away, and people are just slightly damaging their hearing, but maybe not for that long, and maybe it's sort of only their 50s that they realise it. I found out whilst researching that the drivers of the tubes specifically on these 10 lines that have problem areas of uh, high sound, are encouraged to wear hearing protection. But you also have to think about the people that work on the platforms. You know the people with the orange vests that kind of wave the plastic thing at the train drivers? What about them? What about the commuters that, whatever their job might be, are forced to take that tube journey every day, day in, day out? It does seem like something we could do better at. And I'm not sure whether the solution is rubber tires or free hearing protection in the stations, but I'm assuming that in 50 years, something will be different. When it comes to hearing damage, the difference between a sound's intensity and its volume or amplitude is also worth a look. To use a slightly wacky analogy, the, the sonic attacks that happen on your ears can be compared to hammers in various sizes. So a sustained low amplitude sound could be like getting hit by a hammer every few minutes, but a very small hammer, maybe like a like a bull-peen hammer, whereas a 107 decimal sound would be like getting hit by a sledgehammer once. When you're going through the tube network, it's little hammer, little hammer, little hammer, sledgehammer, sledgehammer, little hammer, 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 sledgehammer. And by the time you come out, your ears have really taken a beating. 
We've touched on this briefly, but another way you could be damaging your hearing is by using your personal headphones, earbuds, AirPods, or whatever, with the volume set too high. I know that famously the original iPhone headphones that came with like the iPods or iPhones were absolutely capable of damaging your hearing if you listen to those on full volume at all times. Nowadays, I think with noise cancelling, people are wiser to that because instead of trying to overlay the ambient noises of, say, tubes or, or sort of traffic or whatever, they now actually they use noise cancelling so they don't have to fight it so hard. But if you have a more modern phone, there are systems built in that you can activate that will protect your hearing. I have an iPhone, and I'm going to give you an example. If you go into settings and then sound and haptics, the top option is actually headphone safety. And if you click that, what you can do is you can set your headphones to block sounds above a certain amplitude. I think the default is about 90 decibels. I've got mine set to 85 because I'm giving myself that kind of five decibel buffer away from the, uh, the scary moment. Actually, on the latest software, I've also just noticed if you go into headphone safety, it will show you how many times in the last six months you've exceeded your, your score. So thankfully I'm on zero, but if you guys have high numbers, I actually mentioned this to a friend today and he says that he triggers it almost daily, which is terrifying. Then yeah, watch out, listen to this podcast and take the message. Well, if you've got this far, you've probably started to work out a few of the places in your life where loud noises are affecting your hearing and maybe some of the steps you could take to mitigate them. Obviously, foam earbuds can be found for free at a lot of gigs, nightclubs, and that kind of thing. Or if you want to treat yourself, you can buy some slightly fancier sort of plastic reusable ones that will protect you if you, for example, for work, have to regularly put yourself in these situations. I think that there should be a, a kind of more of a culture of just like one person's watch goes off and says, you realize it's 100 decibels in this room. I think there should be a system where you can like flag that to management and just say like to the pub, like this is going wrong. You're deafening several hundred people. Can we try and make steps to fix this? Because I mean, like if we were accidentally putting lead in people's drinks and you notice that we absolutely would be like, oh my God, somebody call poison control because we've accidentally poisoned all these people. I don't know if there's a cure for lead poisoning, but th this, this thing with hearing is, well, I mean, this is the case I'm trying to make, right? I think it is absolutely the the uh, the kids in textile mills or, or lead paint of our time. It is absolutely fixable. And the apathy around it is just so tedious. So thank you for listening. I hope that this has been interesting. If you want to have good conversations in your 60s, then uh, share this podcast with the people that you'd like to talk to when you're older. Because that's quite a nice message, actually. Imagine the the level of uh, compliment that saying I would still like to converse with you in 40 years time is, or I don't know how old you are. I'm in my twenties. Um, that's great. I also want to do a big shout out to all the people that listened to episode one. I mean, 40 million listeners in one week, not bad for a, a fledgling podcast thought up as a bit of a joke. I encourage you to check out the Twitter account I've made for the podcast it's totally crucial, extremely relevant, necessary info because I didn't realize when making the podcast name that you can only have 50 characters in the Twitter handle. But the at is T-C-E-R-N-I underscore podcast. And uh, yeah, find me there. I'll give some behind the scenes stuff of this episode. 
and maybe some teasers for next week. Thanks for listening and I'll see you next time.